This B-Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com B-E. That's IXL.com B-E. We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, my flex learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E. Okay, uh, so here we are. We're doing these uh, this episode and a couple others uh, at NASTEC PPI conference in Oklahoma City. So Fred, tell us a little bit, uh, remind our listeners what NASTEC is. And Absolutely. It's, it's actually a real treat. Jethro to introduce you to this community that's yeah, been, been fun, been so important to the work that, that I've done over the last five or six years. So we are at a conference called the Professional Practices Institute, which is run by NASDAQ, which is the National Association of State Directors of Teacher Education and Certification. They are responsible for providing training to the licensing people and the education training people around the country. PPI is specifically focused on investigators and state attorneys. You'll hear from many of them over the next few episodes. So this and whatever other ones we put this pre-recording in front of are going to set the stage for, for what we're talking about. We talked to some really great people. It was awesome, but we barely scratched the surface. So we only did a couple live in-person interviews, but we're going to have some more of those people on the Cybertraps podcast coming up. And so as you hear background noise and things like that through these episodes, that's because we're recording in a hallway and <laughs> that's kind of how it right, goes. Right next to the buffet table. Yeah, so, exactly. Um, hope you guys enjoy it. So Nancy, why don't you start by just telling us a little bit about who you are, your background, what your role is. And if you can't hear yourself well in the headphones, then just lean closer. Okay. So I'm Nancy Buckleese. Um, I work for the Connecticut State Department of Education. I currently um, serve as the bureau chief over the professional practice. Well, actually, it's the Bureau of Investigations and Professional Practices. 
And previous to that, I was for about 15 years, I was also uh, the administrator or bureau chief over the Bureau of Certification. So I've kind of done both sides of the coin. I've given the certificates and now I'm taking them, taking them away. <laughs> she giveth and she taketh take away. away. Very nice. So we have the opportunity, Nancy, to interview at the Professional Practices Institute here in Oklahoma City. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about the work that you've done with PPI and how that's affected uh, your professional work? So I have been a, a member of NASDAQ since I started uh, in 2003 and uh, have been coming to the PPI for several years, not as, not as much as I've actually attended the NASDAQ conferences, but certainly the PPI has been so beneficial because we are such a small community of states where they have a very narrow focus. Um, and so it's very hard to find other people who do the work that we do. And so this, the Professional Practices Institute is the one area, the one time during the year that we can come together, build our community, get to know other people so that when we have questions, we can go to them. We gather fabulous information here at the conference. Um, and it's just a, this is going to be one of the things that I miss when I retire. I'm, I'm consistently impressed with the quality of the presentations that people put on. I mean, you're drawing from a pool of people around the country. Yes, that's correct. And the topics just are never the same. Um, and it just continues to change with the technology that is being used. You know, the things, the types of cases that we're seeing uh, evolve. And we were talking the other day how we went from face-to-face you know, interactions for like a site in a sexual assault case to text messaging or emailing. And now we're, you know, in this whole social media app and apps that are being used. And it's just um, the amount of change that we've seen over the years has been phenomenal. Yeah. So you talked about coming here and meeting with other people who were in the same role and position as you. And it's really tricky when you deal with so many confidential issues. Because one thing I've noticed is that everybody very much respects the confidentiality and that's really good. Nobody's here like swapping stories and, and stuff like that. However, sometimes stories are swapped, but they're done in a, in an appropriate way where you're not divulging information because that's how you learn. So how does that help you do your job better by having a group of people that you can come and talk with? You know, it introduces you to do new topics around cases that you probably have not seen yet, but at some point in the future, will see. And so it gives you a place to start a discussion if you need some assistance with a case, to make a phone call to a person and say, hey, I remember you guys said something. Is there, you know, can you tell me how you handled this? Or did you encounter this? And so it really just expands um, the knowledge base outside of your own state you know, to incorporate other people who've walked that path before. Well, for me, it's been interesting, Nancy, because I started coming about seven years ago. You know, actually, our buddy Troy uh, dragged me to a place not far from here. Fort Smith, Arkansas was my first PPI. And, and one of the things I'd love to have you talk about is the growing attention that PPI and NASDAQ, to be fair, has placed on the movement of teachers and the reporting of disciplinary actions from one state to another? Because it seemed pretty clear when I started that that was a real issue. Well, so we have, you know, I think that's the one area that we monitor our own profession. 
which is through the clearinghouse. And the clearinghouse has been available since, I believe, the 1940s. I didn't know it went back that far. It's gone back quite a ways, if I am correct. But I, I do believe that they were reporting into a national database that far back. I could be wrong, but it's been around for a long time. Hmm. And so what that allows us to do is when we take an action against an, an educator, it allows us to report it into a system that not only all 50 states have access to, but so too do some of the provinces in Canada, some of our islands like Puerto Rico and Guam and the Mariana Islands um, have come to the conferences as well, and they participate in it. And so when educators move from state to state, it gives the state that the educator is attempting to move to after action's been taken the knowledge that there's an issue. Uh, I recently received three calls um, from another state regarding an educator who had moved uh, after we had taken action. And they were attempting to hire him. And he did, in fact, report that our state had taken action. And so they called me to find out what had happened and was this accurate. And I said to someone, you know, I'm not sure why your state hasn't picked this up because it was reported to the clearinghouse. And I eventually got an email from the state that said, you know, somehow we didn't pick it up. We did eventually find that you had reported it in there, but our system didn't pick it up. And so it was a, a check on their system. Oh, that's cool. As to right. why it wasn't, you know, finding this individual uh, well, to report out to the districts. And of course, I focus on the technical piece, and I was really amused to hear Mike, excuse me, Phil uh, Rogers today talking about the fact that you're finally shutting down the FTP server. Yes, I which, laughed about that also. <laughs> which, del, you know, has been delivering data for 40 years around the internet. And that's the piece of history that's finally shutting down. But there are better ways to do things. Well, and honestly, states, depending on, you know, the types of systems that we have available, are still, we don't have the systems that necessarily pick that information up electronically. I know in our state, it's still, we get the information and then it has to be uploaded, right? From So there's still extra steps involved. Yeah. Yes. And what's scary is the guy that knows how to do this is retiring <laughs> at the same time that I am very soon. And I'm not sure how they're going to handle it. Yeah, we can have a whole chat about institutional knowledge. Yes, it, it seems to have been a theme over the past few days. So uh, talking about the clearinghouse, one of the challenges with that is the privacy of the individuals who were there. And we heard the Oklahoma State Superintendent talking about House Bill 711, which says that if you are accused of something, then your license is suspended uh, pretty much immediately still pending an investigation. Now that brings up opportunities for people to lie and say that things happened and that's not good, but that does happen. And so how do you balance the, the privacy piece with keeping track of people who are doing bad things? So in my state, we do not have an automatic suspension uh, in law that allows us to suspend somebody prior to taking full action. Um, and them having the due process. But we rely on the districts to take action against the individual. We are a very small state, being Connecticut, and so there's a lot of communication. And, you mm -hmm. know, you can, it's only two and a half hours wide, right? So people know each other typically. Well, um, not a 95, then it's four hours. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, that's due to the traffic yeah. congestion. In theory, two and a half hours wide. Yeah. 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 Time's relative. I have a not mostly hate-hate relationship yeah, I stay away from 95 every chance I get. Yeah. Yeah. So most of, once they get, you know, terminated or they resign, we don't have that many teachers actually that are transferring into different districts if, in situations which, um, where they're, you know, there's serious allegations against them. Most of the time, the teachers, it gets in the media and it gets kind of published through the media. And so it's, it's not something that we've had to worry a lot about in our state because I do track to, as best I can anyway, to know if the person's working in another district because they have to report that to us as if they are employing them. Yeah. Fred, what would you add about that privacy issue? Well, I, it's, a, it's an absolutely great question. I mean, obviously, you're balancing a series, a, a number of competing concerns, right? So a state like Oklahoma is very eager to protect children, and that's the, they're making that their priority. And one of the ways you do that is you remove the teacher from the classroom as quickly as possible. Um, I think... My concern would be, and Nancy, you might want to address this, is that as students have gotten more technologically adept and they've been given more resources by parents, their ability to make allegations that may or may not be supported by actual evidence has grown easier and easier. And I absolutely do not want to diminish the seriousness of a lot of things that happen, but kids say the darndest things and some of them get people in trouble. And I, I would be very leery of a process like Oklahoma has enacted or is enacting that moved that quickly. That's my take on it. And we rely heavily on our child protective organizations, our Department of Children and Families. So they're the ones that primarily go in and do the immediate investigation if there's an issue involving a teacher and a student. Um, the only time it gets questionable is when the student is right at that age of 18 because they don't oversee them. Um, we've put some pressure on them as long as they're still a student. That should be something that they look into. But they're the ones along with the police that actually do the immediate investigation. And if that gets involved, the teacher then typically is resigning or being put on paid leave until they figure out what's going on. But they are removed from the classroom by the district. Which I think is an absolutely appropriate response because you're you're balancing the privacy versus the protective piece of it. I, I think one of the questions that arises out of that, Nancy, given your perspective, right? I mean, you've been there for a while. How would you assess the way in which teachers are responding to technology almost from a generational point of view. And what I mean specifically is, do you find that the younger teachers are less likely to get into trouble as a result of technology, or is their very familiarity with it a problem? I'm finding that the younger teachers rely on it more. And so in terms, when I go and do presentations for teacher preparation candidates, they, or young teachers, they don't see a problem with texting with parents or families and but then they don't like the fact that they're on 24 7 and they also don't have some of them are using kind of the new newer apps where it doesn't give their phone numbers out mm -hmm. but they're still connecting with them and they're connecting with them in their 
I don't know what the mnemonics, is that the right word? I don't know where they're, you know, they're not using full language, right? right. And so I... Text speak. Yes, text speak. There you go. Um, <laughs> I talk with teachers about the fact when you are communicating from your position as a teacher, you need to understand that you're doing it even though it's not on the school's, what am I trying to say? Uh, Infrastructure. No, it's not on their their their, uh, their header. Header, yes, yeah. right? It's not on the school's letterhead. Yes, thank yeah. you. And and they need to make sure that they're writing it in such a way that it should be the equivalent yeah. of being on a letterhead. Well, I, I really appreciate that, Nancy. So a couple of things. Number one, I often said as a principal, if the parents trust us enough to send their kids with us all day long, we should be able to trust them enough for them to have close contact with us and be able to text us when they need us, right? Now, if somebody violates that, then then that's done for sure. And I'm very comfortable with blocking people on my phone. But I want I always wanted parents to have my phone number so that if there was a serious issue, they didn't have to go through layers to get to the principal. They could get the problem resolved. And of course, I'd always refer them back to the teacher when appropriate and say, go talk to the teacher and figure that out. But you're absolutely right. In, when you're acting in the position of a teacher or a principal, you still need to act like a principal or a teacher. And you can't just be LOL, all that short tech speak that isn't as professional as an actual fully formed sentence without spelling errors. Right. <laughs> and we can have actually a fun conversation about that because as a writer, I'm very cognizant of the malleability of language, right? Mm -hmm. and, and we're seeing a lot of that occur. But I think what you're alluding to, Nancy, is this interesting concept, and we were talking about a little bit earlier in one of the sessions, about the extent to which a teacher's role follows them out into the world. Yes. And, and so, you know, it, it is one of the ongoing challenges for educators is this concept that they for all intents and purposes, are always a role model. Correct. And social media has amplified that. Correct. And I also think that they don't, you know, it, if you're using your own phone and not a school-issued phone, you know, it's laying there by at the bed at night. And so if you're bored, you pick it up and you start texting with people inappropriately or otherwise. Um, and so I think it just opens up a whole different opportunity for people to misuse at the wrong hours. We see when teachers are texting back and forth with kids or using apps back and forth with kids, they're doing it at one and two and three o'clock in the morning with a seven, 15, 16, 17 year old student. And so right there, that's in my opinion, a, a violation of the professional rule. And they don't even think about that because it's such a natural thing to pick up and start doing. Yeah. And, you know, we talk all the time about how important it is to have your devices in a separate place from where you sleep, that you're not going to be texting at one and two in the morning if your phone's not right next to you in bed. If you're tired and have to get out of bed and go walk into the living room and get your phone, you're much less likely to do that. Uh, well, there's another solution, which is to turn 58 and you're not up at one or two in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. But I think that this actually does touch on so many topics that Jethro and I have covered because, yes, you can talk about the educators, and we should, right? That's your job. But at the same time, we need to talk about the parents 
you know, who should be supervising a 15 or 16 year old. And I know parents are really overwhelmed and it's a challenging time, but these are conversations that need to happen because they have lifelong implications. And I think it's gotten very difficult for parents, uh, you know, because that's the, the child goes up to their room. You think they're going to bed, right? And they're laying in bed texting away, right? Until what hour in the morning? You probably don't know because you're asleep. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's a challenge uh, for sure. teachers. One of the other areas, though, that I find is a group of people, and that's just the coaches, you know, the athletic coaches. Yes. And what I always say to the athletic coaches is if you're going to be texting with students or with your team members, right, that say the game's been canceled due to rain or whatever it is, you should not only be including their phone number on there, but their parents' phone number because Mm -hmm. it needs to be transparent. And now many of our school systems have actually bought an app that they can use so that they can track this on the phones, which makes that transparency even more, you know, it heightens the transparency that's available to the school system. Well, and and that's actually really useful because it creates an obvious best practice. And the minute someone's using a different app to communicate with Mm -hmm. a kid, then you've got a clear violation you can work with. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And it would be really uh, unwise, especially as Fred mentioned in his, in his talk today, it's different when it's a, a small Alaskan community, like where I was a principal, where everybody knows each other and already has everybody's cell phone number. And it's a big 60, 70,000 student school district where you have to have those things in place. And the thing that I learned moving to Alaska and being a principal there was that anonymity was gone. I could be anonymous still when I was in a 80,000 or 30,000 school district um, in Utah where I started but I could not be anonymous in a 2,500 student school district. And so that, that changes things also. And so it, being able to hide in plain sight in some of these big districts, I think further necessitates the need for tool, communication tools that you can monitor and know what's going on. But I appreciate your advice about having another adult on the, on the text message because it, if, if the student is ever texting without the parent involved, then that can be a red flag to the coach and they can say, we can't do this. I need to have your parents on and they can just add them back in. And if that's the practice, then it's much more, it's much easier for that coach to follow and do that on a regular basis. Yeah. I'm still amazed also at the number of teachers that are inappropriately interacting with kids on school-sponsored email sites or, you know, whatever they've set up so that kids can communicate back and forth Mm -hmm. with teachers. And it's shocking to me that they still don't realize that they are at some level being watched. It's being checked out at some point. I had a case and literally I got three inches worth of paper once I printed it off of emails that went back and forth between a teacher and multiple female girls. None of them were sexually related. But it was at 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night uh, and went on back and forth, you know, over years that the school really had no idea that this had gone on. Well, and especially with the pandemic, this, that kind of communication just skyrocketed. And, you know, my, my daughter, who's in eighth grade right now, is emailing her teacher on the weekend. And I'm like, wait, what are you doing? <laughs> like, what's going on? Why are you doing this? 
And then she has homework assignments that are due on Sunday night. And I'm like, what's going on? Why are we, why don't we have boundaries? Just because you have a device doesn't mean that your, your due date should now be on the weekend. The due date should still be you show up to class and turn it in. You can still do that even with technology. So I don't know. I think there's a lot of things that people haven't thought of that people haven't really taken the time to process through. And I don't know what the best answer is right now, but I know that my eighth grade daughter shouldn't be emailing her teacher on the weekend, nor should the teacher be emailing her on the weekend. Agreed. And, (laughs) and even if that is being tracked, there should probably still be an additional layer of, of knowledge of what's going on. Um, because like you said, nobody's going through and reading all those emails. I'm sure that a computer program is that it's looking for specific words, but we can make up new words to mean different things all the time. And that's kids love doing that. Yeah. That's exactly what kids do. Well, look, the issue, you know, Nancy, that you're, you're highlighting is the sheer volume of material, the sheer volume of data that is generated by these interactions between teachers and students. And, you know, I, I think Jethro has a great point. You can run whatever filters you want, but unless the algorithm adapts, number one, and secondly, that an individual is willing to catch the flags, you know, because those systems only work, Jethro, if someone is actually at the desk saying, you should in fact investigate this. But if you're a principal in a pandemic, do you have time to <laughs> when you're too busy contact tracing? No. Yeah. No. Excellent. A... I was shocked because I really thought now that teachers were online more that we would see, I would get a ton of cases. And interestingly, I had have not. And mm. whether or not it just wasn't picked up on. Um, we did have cases, you know, where teachers were showing uh, political statements behind them or students were had political statements behind them or Black Lives Matter, you know, um, banner behind them that created issues that had to be dealt with. But My research files have teachers who had handguns on the desk who had bars behind, like, you know, not, not vertical bars, but like alcohol yeah. bars behind them in there. Yeah, they got a mini bar in their basement and they're at the table <laughs> yeah. down there in front of it. Yeah. And they just don't, don't think, think twice about exactly what's showing behind them. Yeah. Well, and, and you can have, I think, some empathy for the privacy impact on educators in all of this because... You know, we're, we're moving away and it's, it's erratic across the country, but you know, there are still people teaching online and they're doing it from their homes and they're letting people into their house when they do that. And it does change the dynamic. I'm a little surprised you haven't seen an uptick in stuff. The only thing I would, I would posit is that you've got more parental supervision or involvement, which raises its own issues, but it might mitigate against educators grooming, if you will, their students. Well, and I also think teachers were so overwhelmed with just trying to learn how to do it online, you know, to teach online <laughs> that maybe yeah. they were exhausted at the end of the day. I don't know. Which is not a bad thing. It's not yeah. a bad thing. <laughs> in this particular case, yes. right. maybe in other cases. Yeah. So Nancy, any last parting words of wisdom that you'd like to share with us? It's just an interesting area. And I, I think we have to do so much more work with not only young teachers, but also veteran teachers, because their knowledge of the electronic 
interactions with students is not as high as the younger generation. And I think that there's just so much more that teachers have to understand. You know, it used to be, do I put a kid in my car to take him home? That still exists. But I think the issues that they're now dealing with all of this electronic communication are so much deeper. Many of our more veteran teachers are used to. And so I think there's a lot of learning that has to be done uh, on the part of not just early career teachers and teacher prep students, but also the veteran teachers as well. Well, thank you for being here. Thanks for being part of the Cybertraps podcast. It's a real pleasure, Nancy. Thank you. Oh, thank you for asking me. I would like to wrap up then this episode of the Cybertraps podcast. In the coming weeks, we will continue our coverage of emerging trends in a variety of areas, including digital misconduct, cyber safety, cybersecurity, privacy, education, and the challenges of high-tech parenting. Along the way, we'll talk to our growing collection of international experts who are helping us to understand the risks and the rewards of digital technology. You can find the Cybertraps podcast in all your favorite apps. We hope that you'll share the show with your friends and reach out to us if you have a topic or guest suggestion. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Jethro Jones and Fred is at Cybertraps. If you're still listening, you must have loved this episode. And if that's the case, please leave us a five-star rating in your podcast player. And we thank you for being here and we'll see you on our next live show on Monday. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. Do you want to save time on prep work, increase student achievement for all of your students, reliably meet tier one standards? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com B to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve these goals. That's IXL.com B-E.